Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw, known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net and at the webalchemist.net on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw the Success Alchemist and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is December 26, 2020 and the title of today's show is Nashville Bomb Stimulus Scandal election challenge Linwood goes postal so first of all i'd like to uh just open by saying i hope you had a lovely christmas day yesterday if you celebrate it i certainly did i was actually cooking for six people and i haven't done that for a while so we had a lovely christmas uh lunch british style so that was that was fun it was just really weird being in arizona that uh, I'm eating Christmas dinner outside on a picnic table, <laughs> which is a far cry from being in the snow and ice of Colorado or even, you know, the the cold and damp of the UK. So that that was novel, I must say. Anyway, there's a lot to share this week. I wasn't sure until this morning what I was going to focus on. But, you know, the top of the news at the moment is related to the Nashville bomb. And, of course, the citizen warriors the citizen journalists are going all out um, investigating and joining the dots and coming up with various different theories about what really happened what this is all about it's a very strange story so epoch times reports um, rv broadcast evacuation message before nashville christmas day explosion according to the police. Um, this was published yesterday, which was the day of this bomb, um, the day the bomb was detonated. Nashville police were able to usher people to safety before an explosion rocked downtown Nashville on Christmas morning in what authorities are calling a deliberate act, while a warning message was broadcast urging people to evacuate moments before the blast. Officers with the Metro Nashville Police Department carried out door-to-door and apartment-to-apartment checks and managed to get people to safety shortly before the blast, according to statements made at a press conference. There was a loudspeaker warning people to clear the area before the massive blast, according to a Metro Nashville police spokesperson and surveillance footage. All buildings in the area must be evacuated now. A voice could be heard in the video. If you can hear this message, evacuate now, the warning continued, before the blast occurred. The explosion shattered windows, damaged buildings and wounded three civilians. One officer was knocked down to the ground by the explosion while another had temporary hearing loss, police said at the presser. No officer sustained serious injuries in the incident, police said. Police spokesman Don Aaron said three people were taken to area hospitals for treatment, although none were in critical condition. He added that the 6.30am blast was believed to be an intentional act. Police earlier said they believe a vehicle was involved in the explosion and at the presser said they are unsure whether there was anyone inside the vehicle said to be an RV. Metro Police said in a statement that canine teams are doing protective sweeps in the downtown area and that traffic downtown is restricted. 
The FBI will be taking the lead in the investigation, according to spokesman Joel Siskovich. Federal investigators from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives were also on the scene. The FBI is the primary law enforcement agency responsible for investigating federal crimes such as explosives, violations and acts of terrorism. Officers were responding to shots fired call in downtown Nashville when they spotted a suspicious RV and called the bomb squad, according to a press release. While the bomb squad was heading to the scene, the RV exploded, the press release said. President Donald Trump has been briefed on the explosion, according to White House Deputy Spokesperson Judd Deere. The President is grateful for the incredible first responders and praying for those who were injured, Deere said. Acting Attorney General Jeff Rosen was also briefed on the incident, according to Justice Department spokesman Mark Raimondi. But McCoy, who lives near the area, posted videos on Facebook that show water pouring down the ceiling of his home. Alarms were heard blaring in the background and cries of people in distress rang out in the background. A fire was visible in the street outside. McCoy said the windows of his home were entirely blown out. All my windows, every single one of them, got blown into the next room. If, it, if I had been standing there, it would have been horrible, he said. It felt like a bomb. It was that big, he told the Associated Press. There were about four cars on fire. I don't know if it was so hot they just caught on fire. And the trees were all blown apart, he said. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee said on Twitter that the state would provide the resources necessary to determine what happened and who was responsible. Please join Maria Lee TN, that's a, a Twitter handle, and me in praying for those who are injured and we thank all our first responders who acted so quickly this morning. And incidentally, people have been making comments about how the mayor was behaving in a TV interview talking about this bomb and he was laughing and telling, uh, telling a joke. It was really most bizarre and people were speculating that, you know, this was a false flag and he knew about it before it happened and that's why he was behaving in the way that he did. Um, I did watch this short video and it was very peculiar, I must say. Now, they didn't think at first that anybody had been killed, but there's, uh, Resist the Mainstream has got an article that says, Human remains reportedly found near site of Christmas morning explosion in Nashville. Human remains have reportedly been found near the site of the Christmas Day explosion that rocked downtown Nashville and shattered the windows of businesses and residences in the surrounding area. The Associated Press, citing two law enforcement officials, reports that human remains were found in the area of the explosion, but that investigators have not yet determined the origins of the remains. AP reports that those remains could be from a possible perpetrator, a blast victim, or completely unrelated to the Friday morning explosion. Police said three people were hospitalised with injuries following the blast, reports the Nashville Tennessean. Authorities have not indicated a possible motive for the attack. 
The explosion, which has cut off some communication systems in the area and has grounded planes departing from the local airport, occurred early Friday morning, shortly after an RV started blaring a warning that an explosion would happen soon. It was saying, this vehicle has a bomb, you must evacuate the area. Kim Madlam, a 59-year-old Nashville resident who fled before the blast, told the Washington Post. A voice emanating from the RV through a speaker reportedly warned residents they had 15 minutes to leave the area. Madlam, who fled the area, was on her way back after 20 minutes had passed without anything happening. The RV exploded soon after that. We almost didn't take it seriously, said Madlam, whose building was severely damaged. Whoever did this certainly intended for us all to leave. Governor Bill Lee said early Friday that authorities believed the act was intentional and that it was under investigation by local, state and federal officials. President Donald Trump has been briefed on the explosion as well and a spokesperson for Trump said the president will continue to receive updates on the investigation and is grateful for the incredible first responders and praying for those who were injured. Now, it's interesting because there are various videos on Twitter showing um, this explosion. And one of these citizen journalists, um, the Internet Warriors, is saying on, on a particular video, where's the RV? And when the explosion happens... It it doesn't seem to be coming from the the right area. I looked at the video. I thought perhaps in the distance of that view it was the RV, but if it was when the explosion happened, the it seemed to start much closer to where the camera was located. So that was very strange. And as I was saying, the um, Citizen journalists are all actively figuring out what is behind this bomb. And Forbidden Knowledge TV has got an article and it is um, about the possible motive for the Nashville bombing. And this was published yesterday. Speculation is rife about the truck bomb explosion in front of the AT&T building in Nashville, Tennessee, Christmas morning, leaving three people injured and millions without internet and cell phone service in several states. Now, he says truck bomb, but they're blaming it on an RV. So, um, but there's also speculation that it, it was actually um, not the RV that exploded, it was possibly an underground explosion or possibly even inside a building. Again, we'll have to wait and see what happens about this. But there are people who are saying uh, if the FBI is investigating it, you know, everything will be pushed under the carpet. It won't be investigated properly because, you know, people have lost faith in the FBI because of how partisan and corrupt many of them are. So anyway, continuing with this article, the outage is being described as extraordinary with no cell or internet service as of 12 hours later and 911 emergency systems down in counties 180 miles away. 
It also affected Nashville International Airport telecommunications, leaving flights grounded. People are asking why Nashville? Why AT&T? Some say that AT&T's Nashville data center is the hub that covers Georgia. An outage map shows that Atlanta is being affected. Did the building house the servers that would prove election fraud in that state? Is that why Nashville Mayor John Cooper, a Democrat, was smiling during his televised statements about the bombing? Pursuant to the Patriot Act, that data centre contains an NSA intercept facility to monitor communications, leading one to ask, have NSA surveillance capabilities been affected by the explosion? Was this a message to the NSA? Investigative journalist Mariam Henain dug into the building's history and found that the former owner was Cerebus Capital, a private equity group made up of Carlisle Group veterans like Hooten Yagubzadeh. And it's a terrible word to pronounce. I hope I've got that right. In December 2019, it just so happens Yagubzadeh acquired Dominion Voting Systems through yet another private equity firm. Coincidence? An anonymous user on 4chan claiming to be a data center employee says he expects it to take days to restore communications and he's concerned that backup servers will overheat from the excess traffic. He asks how long do we have until everything starts shutting down due to hardware over temp, as in temperature. This is just one explosion. Where else are they planning? They knew exactly where to hit at the fibre vault on the street. You get three to four of those go off, it could produce a regional or US-wide telecom outage. This could, be a, this could be a strong possible motive for the Nashville bombing. So interesting because I have seen uh, a tweet saying that um, AT&T were awarded the contract to do the investigation into the uh, Dominion voting machines. Now we've got another opinion. This is from uh, a tweet by E Will Help You. Re Nashville, their objective was to knock out communications, including 911 in the area for a short while, not to injure people. You aren't looking at a terrorist attack. You are looking at a small piece of a much larger scheme that was underway by sophisticated operatives. Whatever detonated the RV knew exactly what they were doing. The real crime didn't happen in Nashville. It happened in the giant blind spot that was created by the blast. Um, why Nashville? Why ATT? This is a tweet by Suicide Seattle. Here's your answer. Room 641A is a telecom intercept facility operated by AT&T for the US. NSA as part of its warrantless surveillance program, Patriot Act. What part of the country do, does this hub cover? Georgia. Interestingly, Lynn Wood, um, the attorney, has also tweeted... Uh, an article on theintercept.com, the NSA's hidden spy hubs in eight U.S. cities. Now, it doesn't mention uh, Nashville as one of the eight cities, but what it does talk about 
is this link between NSA and AT&T. So perhaps it's a confirmation of this theory about the data centre and possibly the connection with the Dominion voting machines and also the surveillance of what was going on in Georgia during the election. Now, this would nicely lead me into the um, election challenge. Um, But before I do that, I want to just cover this stimulus bill. And people are absolutely up in arms about it. First of all, because the amount that's being sent out as stimulus funding to uh, legal residents and citizens is a measly $600. Yes, I know we should be grateful for anything, but um, also what people are even more infuriated about is all the money going to foreign countries. And on my Facebook timeline, and as I say, if you want to see that, you can just search for Jan Shaw. Um, I shared a screenshot of um, an image, basically. Uh, Somebody had put together a list of all the money that was being included in this so-called stimulus bill. And it's it starts in fact there's a series of screenshots there's a comparison of the stimulus amounts given across different countries australia 1993 a month canada 1433 a month denmark up to 3288 a month France up to 7,575 a month. Germany up to $7,326.78 a month. Ireland up to $1,793.44 a month. UK up to $3,084 a month. US $1,200 to last for 32 weeks. And the people that have done the calculations have said that's equivalent to being paid like 10 cents an hour. And in terms of the list of funding, there's 26,400,000 going to the Kennedy Center, a billion to the Smithsonian, 154 million to the National Art Gallery, 167 million to the National Art and Humanities. 40 million to Woodrow Wilson Centre. Now, the foreign countries, Egypt, $1.3 billion. Sudan, 700 million. Ukraine, 453 million. Israel, 500 million. Nepal, 130 million. Burma, 135 million. Cambodia, 85.5 million. Pakistan, 25 million. Asia RIA, 1.4 billion. American people, $600. And it says citizens, but also legal um, immigrants, you know, legal residents actually get the stimulus as well. That's me and I know because I got the first one, uh, as long as you're paying your taxes. Uh, Stimulus funds to Berkshire Hathaway, over 70 million. Cisco, over 15 million. Comcast, nearly 100 million. AT&T, 
over 3 million, Oracle over 39 million, Walmart over 35 million, Salesforce over 2 million, Microsoft over 53 million, BMS over 31 million, Nike over 2 million, PP, I'm not sure what that is. Um, oh, I think this is the fund that goes to small businesses, only 4.2 million. So they're paying all this money to the big corporate giants when it's the small businesses who have suffered so much during the shutdowns. It's like they've been trying to, you know, close all these small businesses down and basically destroy um, the middle class, the, the working class and so on. So you're telling me that the people who wrote a bill stealing your money for Sudan, Pakistan, Burma, Nepal, Cambodia, illegal aliens, windmills, solar panels, 1908, Springfield race riots and horse performance enhancing drugs while giving you only $600 wouldn't steal your votes. And that's from Rising Ser Serpent. It's a tweet. Uh, President-elect B.T. Samuel, just B.T., tweets, I'm surprised people don't know how U.S. politicians steal money. Foreign aid is how your favourite politicians have million-dollar net worths on a $175 million salary. And those foundations, those foundations are their cash cows. So there's absolute um, anger, fury about all this money going to the these foreign countries and it's believed to be the way that money is laundered back to these corrupt politicians and the other thing that people are so angry about is the fact that this bill extends to over 5,000 pages and the people voting on it were only given two hours to go through it and interestingly even AOC tweeted that they shouldn't have to vote on a bill of that magnitude without being able to read the content of it and for on a first Candace Owens actually supported that and said for once I agree with AOC that it's ridiculous you know it's rather like the Obamacare bill where you know you could see it you had to sign it in order to see it and of course that was another of Pelosi's tricks Interestingly, I've seen a couple of tweets, speaking of Pelosi, that suggest that Schiff and Pelosi have been arrested. Um, I don't know whether that's true. Um, it was somebody in LA airport that said they'd seen Schiff being escorted by I think about 15 police officers and escorted out of the airport. So we'll have to see whether that actually uh, proves to be true or not. Um, anyway, I'm going to move on now to the election challenge. And this is an article by Fox News. Trump campaign persists with election challenges less than two weeks from key January 6th date. Here is a breakdown of the key remaining cases and where they stand. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole of this. Um, I'm just going to pick out some key points. Uh, President Trump and his campaign are continuing to challenge the result of November's presidential election, with a number of cases still ongoing less than two weeks before electoral votes are officially counted by Congress on January 6th. 
Here is a breakdown of the key remaining cases and where they stand. Pennsylvania, the petition, sorry, the Trump campaign's latest legal move was in the form of a Supreme Court petition filed Sunday asking the court to hear the challenges of several Pennsylvania state court rulings. The petition refers to three state court rulings that eliminated requirements for signature verification for absentee ballots and the proper filling out of ballot declarations and allowed poll watchers to be kept at a distance where they could not fully observe the counting process as long as they were present in the room. The petition also included a fourth case, which has already been brought to the Supreme Court's attention, where the campaign challenged the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's ruling that extended the deadline for accepting mail ballots to three days after Election Day. The court has yet to announce whether they will hear that case. In the, their petition, the Trump campaign insists that the January 6th date is not a deadline at all and that they have at least until Inauguration Day on January 20th. On Thursday, however, the Supreme Court gave Pennsylvania Secretary of State Kathy Bokvar until January 22nd to respond to Trump's petition before they decide how to move forward. So comment on that. You can imagine how... You know, everyone who supports Trump is absolutely up in arms that this case is not going to be heard until after the inauguration. It is absolutely criminal. And, you know, one of the things that Lynn Wood is going postal on, which I'll be sharing a little bit later, is basically Justice Roberts, who is obviously corrupt. He was insisting that the Texas case was thrown out. Um, so this is just another example of the Supreme Court just being involved in trying to rig this election, which has come as a rather a surprise to people because we thought that with Amy Coney Barrett being appointed to the Supreme Court, that this was going to give the, um, the Republicans a majority so that they would rule in favour of Trump and, you know, tr Trump's obvious landslide in the election. But that hasn't happened. And so everybody is basically saying they're all corrupt. And what, what it's indicating, as I've often said, is that this is not a partisan issue because so many of the Republicans are actually deep state and proving themselves to be deep state. So they're actually outing themselves through their um, response to this issue and through, you know, encouraging Trump to concede. And as you know, I said last week, Mitch McConnell was basically telling the GOP not to challenge the election results. And he's even approaching some of the uh, new um, elected officials to try and persuade them not to support the challenge of the electoral votes. Anyway, continuing with the article, Georgia, the state of Georgia was decided by less than 12,000 votes and the Trump campaign is cont contesting the result alongside Republican elector David Schaefer. The campaign had sought emergency relief 
from the state Supreme Court, which sent it down to go through the lower court process where it has been assigned to Superior Court Judge Constance Russell, who is retiring at the end of 2020. Um, Georgia is a key focus here because we're also seeing Republicans, um, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and the Governor Kemp, who are very much apparently, allegedly, involved in this election fraud. I've seen also a report that while the margin was um, only 12,000 votes, there are 460,000 votes, I think, that were either challenged or un un uncounted. Um, so Georgia's definitely a focus. Wisconsin... Uh, President Trump sued the state's election commission, claiming that the state violated its own election code in a number of ways, including allowing absentee voting for everyone, having unmanned ballot boxes and counting ballots where poll watchers could not adequately view the process. New Mexico. The Trump campaign first filed a lawsuit in New Mexico federal court on December 14th, in which they claimed that New Mexico Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse Oliver improperly changed state election procedures without legislative consent by allowing voters to cast ballots in unmanned drop boxes. I think it's the first time I've heard about the New Mexico case, although we do know that um, you know New Mexico has been one of the states where they've gone absolutely crazy on the lockdowns and on imposing um, quarantine on people if they leave the state and return to it. So they're definitely one of the ones that um, we need to look out for. The campaign's lawsuit requests either an investigation of the ballots case through the boxes or an order allowing the state legislature to determine which party's electors should be used. Biden won 306 electoral votes well above the 270 needed to become the next president. Well, it says that, but I don't think um, the votes were won fairly. So, you know, this is why it's so important for the results to be challenged. Now, the, Wolf's, the Western Journal has published an article, TWJ exclusive bombshell new legal memo giving Trump supporters hope on Christmas Eve obviously published Christmas Eve. It opens by saying the Western Journal is presenting this memorandum written by two prominent conservative legal scholars, essentially verbatim, with only enough editing to format it for the op-ed section of our website. This is the second memo by Messrs. Olson and McSweeney to be published exclusively by the Western Journal. And it, like the first, outlines a possible legal strategy for the Trump campaign to follow in the coming weeks. Prior to its publication here, it was sent to President Trump. That's the editor's note. And the memo is entitled Overcoming the Court's Abdication in Texas versus Pennsylvania. In refusing to hear Texas versus Pennsylvania, the U.S. Supreme Court abdicated its constitutional duty to resolve a real and substantial controversy among states that was properly brought as an original action in that court. 
As a result, the court has come under intense criticism for having evaded the most important interstate constitutional case brought to it in many de decades, if not ever. However, even in its order dismissing the case, the Supreme Court identified how another challenge could be brought successfully by a different plaintiff. This paper explains that legal strategy. But first we focus on the errors made by the Supreme Court in the hopes that they will not be made again. Texas versus Pennsylvania. The Supreme Court declined to hear the challenge brought by the state of Texas against four states, which had refused to abide by Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, the Presidential Electors Clause, which establishes the conditions and requirements governing the election of the President of the United States. In adopting that provision, the framers vested in each state legislature the exclusive authority to determine the manner of appointing presidential electors. The framers' plan was shown to be exceedingly wise because we have now learned that allowing other state and private actors to write the election rules led to massive election fraud in the four defendant states. Individuals can be bought, paid for and corrupted so much easier than state legislatures. In refusing to hear the case, the sole reason given was that Texas lacked, in quotes, standing. In doing so, all nine justices committed a wrong against one Texas and the 17 states that supported its suit, two, the United States, three, the president, and four, the people. The court's many wrongs in Texas v. Pennsylvania. As Alexander Hamilton explained in Federalist Number 78, Courts have, open quote, neither force nor will, but merely judgment, close quote. As such, in deciding cases, courts have a duty to explain their decisions so the rest of us may know if they constitute arbitrary exercise of political power or reasoned decisions of judicial power, which the police can trust, sorry, the people can trust. In Texas versus Pennsylvania, all that the justices felt obligated to do was to state its, in quotes, lack of standing, supported by a one-sentence justification. Open quote, Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its election, close quote. Resolving a case of this magnitude with one conclusory sentence is completely unacceptable. The Supreme Court docket consists primarily of only those cases the High Court chooses to hear. However, just like when it agrees to decide a case and in disputes where the original jurisdiction of the court is invoked, it has a duty to decide cases properly brought to them. Two centuries ago, Chief Justice John Marshall construed the obligation of contracts clause in a decision where he wrote, open quote, however irksome the tasks may be, this is a duty from which we dare not shrink, close quote. Trustees of Dartmouth College versus Woodward, 17 US 518, and that was from 1819. Courts have a duty to resolve important cases, even if they will prefer to avoid them. In Marbury versus Madison, 5 US 137, uh, from 1803, 
Marshall described, open quote, the duty of the judicial department to say what the law is, close quote, because, again, open quote, every right when withheld must have a remedy and every injury its proper redress, close quote. Abdication in a case of this sort is not a judicial option. The Supreme Court's reliance on standing is as its excuse, has had one positive result, provoking many to study the origins of that doctrine, who may be just surprised to learn that the word standing nowhere appears in the Constitution. There is compelling evidence to demonstrate it was birthed by big government justices during the FDR administration to shield New Deal legislation and to insulate the administrative state from challenges by the people. Those who favoured the Texas decision argue that standing is a conservative doctrine as it limits the power of the courts, but the true constitutionalist uses only tests grounded in its text. The true threshold constitutional test is whether a genuine and serious controversy exists between the states that could be resolved by a court. The only reason given by the Supreme Court was Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its election. In truth, Texas did make such a showing. When Pennsylvania violated the exclusive authority bestowed on state legislators in the Constitution's electors clause, it opened the door to corruption and foreign intrigue to corrupt the electoral votes of Pennsylvania. And as Alexander Hamilton explained in Federalist 68, that is exactly why the framers created the Electoral College. During the 2020 election cycle, changes to the election process in Pennsylvania were made by judges, state office holders and election officials, which would never have been made by its state legislature. If the process by which presidential electors are chosen is corrupted in a few key states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan and Wisconsin by rigging the system in favour of one candidate, it becomes wholly irrelevant who the people of Texas support. That political reality presents a real, open quote, judicially cognisable interest, close quote, no matter what the Supreme Court decided. What happens in Pennsylvania does not stay in Pennsylvania. As electors from all states acting together select the President of the United States. In the Federalist Papers, both James Madison and Alexander Hamilton recognised the need to combat the spirit of faction and the tendency of each state to yield to its immediate interest at the expense of national unity. They reasoned that the Constitution provided a solution to this centrifugal pressure while reserving a measure of sovereignty to each state. When differences arise between states that threaten to lead to disunion, the Republic can be held together, as Hamilton observed, either, in quotes, by the agency of the courts or by military force, end quote. A constitutional remedy to enable the states to resolve their differences peacefully is the provision that permits any state to invoke the original jurisdiction of the Supreme Court to address and settle their differences. In the vernacular, the Supreme Court blew it, threatening the bonds that hold the Union together. Round two, the United States must enter the fray.
Fortunately, that might have been only the first round in the fight to preserve the nation. A strategy exists to resubmit the Texas challenge under the elector's clause to the Supreme Court in a way that even that court could not dare refuse to consider. Just because Texas did not persuade the justices that what happens in Pennsylvania hurts Texas does not mean that the United States of America could not persuade the justices that when Pennsylvania violates the US Constitution, it harms the nation. Article 3, subsection 2, clause 2, confers original jurisdiction on the Supreme Court in any case brought by the United States against a state. Thus, the United States can and should file suit against Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan and Wisconsin. Like the Texas suit, that new suit would seek an order invalidating the appointment of the electors appointed by those four defendant states that refused to abide by the terms of the presidential electors clause. That would leave it to the state legislatures in those four states to appoint electors, which is what the Constitution requires. When those four states violated the Constitution by allowing electors who had not been appointed in the manner prescribed by the state legislature, the United States suffered an injury. Indeed, there could hardly have been a more significant injury to the nation than that which corrupted its presidential election. The United States has a vital interest and a responsibility to preserve the constitutional framework of the Republic, which was formed by a voluntary compact among the states. As with any contractual relationship of participants in an ongoing enterprise, no party is entitled to ignore or alter the essential terms of the contract by its unilateral action. The President, who has sworn to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution, has the right and the duty to order the US Department of Justice bring such an action in the Supreme Court and should do so quickly. Reasons for Great Hope at Christmas In rejecting the invocation by the State of Texas of the original jurisdiction of the Supreme Court to resolve the dispute between Texas and four other states, that refused to abide by the terms of the presidential electors clause, for now a majority of the justices foreclosed the use of that constitutional safeguard by Texas to provide a peaceful means of resolving the controversy that has deeply divided states and the citizens of this republic as at no time since the 1860s. The, that consequence is too dangerous to be allowed to stand. If the same case previously brought by Texas were now brought by the United States of America, there is every reason to believe that the Supreme Court will be compelled to understand it, must hear it and decide it favourably. Although outcomes are never certain, it is believed and hoped that a majority of the Supreme Court could never take the position that the United States has no business enforcing the process established in the Constitution by which we select the one government official who represents all the people, the President of the United States. So we heard a lot from Patrick Byrne um, about this meeting that supposedly happened at the White House and that was last Friday, um, not yesterday, the, the Friday before. And it was said that Sidney Powell had been nominated as a White House 
special prosecutor. Now, this is an article by Epoch Times. Sydney Powell says White House aides are blocking her efforts to help Trump. And this was from yesterday. Attorney Sidney Powell said in a December 23rd interview with Zenga News that senior White House aides are preventing her from communicating with President Donald Trump and are blocking her efforts to assume a formal coordinating role in pursuing contest of election challenges on the president's behalf. The interview followed what has been widely reported as a tense meeting at the Oval Office on Friday, first reported by the New York Times, with the participants sorry, participation of Trump, Powell, former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and White House Counsel Pat Cipollone, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien and Trump Attorney Rudy Giuliani reportedly participated by phone. Now, Patrick Byrne said he was actually present at the meeting as well, but he's not listed here. Just as a reminder, he's the ex-Overstock founder and he's been working with a, a team to actually investigate the election fraud. Powell told Zenga News that she was verbally offered the position of special White House counsel by Trump during Friday's meeting, but that she has been unable to present the president with paperwork that would make it official and that her appointment has effectively been blocked. It has not come to pass, Powell said, because it seems it was blocked after Friday night or undone, or I'm not sure what you'd call it, by senior White House staff, she suggested. Someone threw sand in the gears, the interviewer asked. Something like that, Powell replied. I've been blocked from speaking to or communicating with the president since I left the Oval Office on Friday night, Powell said, by apparently everyone around the president. Powell clarified that the role she was offered was not a Robert Mueller-style special counsel, but that there was a discussion about me being a special White House counsel. A special counsel is appointed by the Attorney General, while a special White House counsel can be appointed by the President. Attorney General William Barr said at a press conference Monday that he doesn't see a reason to appoint a special counsel to probe election fraud allegations. Open quote. If I thought a special counsel at this stage was the right tool and was appropriate, I would name one, but I haven't and I'm not going to. End quote. Barr said, adding that he stands by his earlier assessment that the Department of Justice had not found evidence of fraud of a significant enough scale that would overturn the election. And just to add, that hasn't gone down very well at all with Trump supporters. Uh, carrying on, I was commenting on the extent to which we had looked at suggestions or allegations of systemic or broad-based fraud that would affect the outcome of the election. And I already spoke to that, and I stand by that statement, he said, adding that he believes there was a fraud in this election on November 3rd. Let me just say that there is fraud in, unfortunately, in most elections. I think we're too tolerant of it, he said. Barr resigned from his role as Attorney General, with December 23rd being his last day in office. Trump, in a tweet on Wednesday, doubled down on his calls for the appointment of a special counsel to probe election fraud. I disagree with anyone that thinks a strong, fast and fair special counsel is not needed immediately. 
This was the most corrupt election in the history of our country and it must be closely examined, Trump wrote. Since election day, Trump and third party groups have pursued legal challenges to the outcome of the election in the six battleground states. None of the efforts have so far borne fruit. Peter Navarro, an advisor to Trump, last week released a detailed report summarising election irregularity allegations in six battleground states, concluding that they are serious enough to warrant an urgent probe and substantial enough to potentially overturn the results. If these election irregularities are not fully investigated prior to Inauguration Day and thereby effectively allowed to stand, this nation runs the very real risk of never being able to have a fair presidential election again, Navarro said in his report. According to reporting by Newsweek, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany declined to comment about whether any senior White House officials have blocked Powell from the White House. The White House did not immediately respond to a query from the Epoch Times regarding Powell's contacts with Trump or the status of her appointment. So we're seeing more dirty work <laughs> from the White House this time. And Patrick Byrne did say about the meeting that was held on that Friday that, you know, people in the t White House, in the Trump team, um, including um, McCarthy, sorry, Mark Meadows, um, were persuading or trying to persuade President Trump to concede. And, you know, this is not what the American people want. It's certainly not what the Trump voters want. And I think if this election is stolen, then I think we're in grave risk of a, an an uprising by the uh, by the Trump people, the Trump supporters. So I'm just going to go on to an article relating to Rudy Giuliani, who, of course, is Trump's personal attorney. And this was pu published today on resistthemainstream.co. <clears throat> and the title is Watch Rudy Giuliani Speaks Out During Christmas Address. This is really going to blow up. During a Christmas address, former New York City Mayor and President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, spoke out about the path forward regarding President Trump's 2020 election fight. I can report to you not the final result, but we are well beyond the point that would change the election, Giuliani said, while discussing the vote margin in Wisconsin. Remember, only 10,000 in Wisconsin. So starting after Christmas, this is really going to blow up because the evidence that all these crooked television networks, newspapers, big tech and the leadership of the Democrat Party have been giving you is false and you are going to find it out all at once. It is going to be very shocking to the country. This isn't the only recent bombshell comment Giuliani has made. During an interview with Bernie and Sid on WABC, the former New York City mayor made a bombshell accusation when he claimed that the voting machines were programmed to give former Vice President Joe Biden the advantage. It is worth noting that the independent fact-checkers would like us to let you know that they disagree with Giuliani's state assessment. Well, of course they do, because they're leftist um, 
fact-checkers, hardly independent at all. Rudy said to the WABC audience, we believe from what we saw in Michigan that the machines have an inaccurate vote, that they're programmed to give Biden somewhere between a 2% and 5% advantage. And that then shows the interviews. Well, it's got the broadcast on YouTube by Rudy Giuliani and then also another interview on WABCradio.com. So just going back to what I was saying about Mitch McConnell, this is an article by Gateway Pundit. Outrageous. Mitch McConnell will reach out to Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville and urge him to turn his back on Trump in Electoral College vote. Last week, news broke that Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville may challenge the Electoral College votes on the U.S. Senate floor in January. Breaking big, Alabama Senator-elect Tuberville suggests he may back effort to challenge Electoral College votes on fraudulent election. And that's a link to an article by Gateway Pundit on that subject. Several states were stolen from President Trump in his landslide 2020 election. Democrats and the media claim it is perfectly normal to lock out GOP observers while you manufacture tens of thousands of votes to overcome a massive Trump win. Trump supporters disagree. But Mitch McConnell does not stand for President Trump and he does not stand with Trump's voters. Mitch stands with the globalists and the Democrats and he is reportedly reaching out to Tommy Tuberville to warn him about creating a messy situation next week. Wow. Senate Republicans say Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican Kentucky, will reach out to Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville, Alabama, in an attempt to avoid a messy floor fight next month over finalising the results of the Electoral College vote. And that's via The Hill. Absolutely disgusting. And there's a tweet from the Columbia Bugle. Senate Republicans say Majority Leader Mitch McConnell will reach out to Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville, Alabama, in an attempt to avoid a messy floor fight next month over finalising the results of the Electoral College vote. They're trying to lose. And then regarding um, this course that, that, sorry, this case that the Supreme Court has delayed, um, this is Fox News again. Supreme Court in no hurry to hear Trump campaign case sets response deadline two days after inauguration. Trump campaign previously asked court to decide case by January 6th. The latest Trump campaign appeal to the Supreme Court won't see any action from the justices until after the inauguration. The justices this week set a reply deadline for Pennsylvania Secretary of State Kathy Bookvar and the other respondents named in the case of January 22nd. The campaign had asked for the Supreme Court to order those on the other side of the litigation to respond by Wednesday and have reply briefs from the Trump campaign sub submitted by Thursday. It also asked the court to rule by January 6th, but the court did not oblige. This means that by the time Bookvar and the others, the Trump campaign is seeking to take to the Supreme Court, even respond to the petition, President-elect Joe Biden will already be sworn in. At that point, the court could simply decline to hear the case, saying it is moot or impossible for them to resolve at that point. 
Congress will have already counted electoral votes and certified the next president. That meeting happens on January 6th. The Trump campaign, however, argued in its brief that even Inauguration Day would not make the court moot because such issues could happen in the future and therefore the court should resolve them ahead of time. The Trump campaign in a statement over the weekend when it announced the petition cited a statement from Justice Samuel Alito in which he cast doubt on whether it was constitutional for Pennsylvania to have its judicial branch make changes to laws governing the presidential election. This petition follows a related Pennsylvania case where Justice Alito and two other justices observed the constitutionality of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision extending the statutory deadline for receipt of mail ballots from 8pm on election day to 5pm three days later has national importance and there is a strong likelihood that the state Supreme Court decision violates the federal constitution, Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani said. The Trump campaign did not reply to a request for comment on Thursday. So I'm not going to read the rest of that article because I think it's basically said what it needs to say, uh, or at least explains this delay. Um, And I just want to quickly uh, talk about Lynn Woods going postal on Twitter. And I'll just find those particular tweets for you. So I've had to go to Linwood's uh, Twitter account. Some of these uh, tweets are rather mixed up, but um, here's one. Would you trust this man with your life, your freedom, your son or your daughter? Would you want to have a beer with him and talk baseball? Not me, no, on all counts. Chief Justice Roberts needs to resign now. Another one. It is time to shine red-hot light of truth on Chief Justice John Roberts, Justice Stephen Breyer, Joe Biden, Obama, Clintons, Bill Gates, VP Mike Pence, Mark Meadows, Pat Cipollone, Bush 41 and 43, George Soros, Cocaine Mitch, etc. Man, where is Jeffrey Epstein when you need him? And somebody's commented on that, saying, are you saying Roberts is a paedophile? Get Chief Justice John Roberts under oath now. First question, after handing him exhibit below, explain this. And it's a picture of Roberts with his uh, left eye blacked. And that's often a sign of being in this satanic group, in this pedophile group. Um, With Chief Justice John Roberts under oath, and unfortunately these are appearing in not in the correct sequence, but a third question, do you deny under penalty of perjury saying to Justice Breyer in discussing real Donald Trump that mother effer will never be re-elected? Uh, I can't see the second one, but if I remember rightly, it's showing a screenshot of Epstein's flight log with the name John Roberts. And I think the second question was, explain that. Um, Fourth question, just before rendering yet another inexplicable anti-conservative vote, you claim you suffered a fall at Chevy Chase Country Club requiring hospitalisation. Why did you not report the fall to public for several days? And it goes on to ask for uh, any uh, witnesses of this fall. I'm not quite sure what he's referring to. But take a look at Linwood's Twitter feed. It's at L-L-I-N Wood. Um, 
and search Linwood Roberts and you'll find these tweets. I've actually, I'm actually out of time now. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show and I'm just kind of amazed at what's happening. What will happen with this Nashville bombing? I'm not sure. I'll have to keep on top of that. But I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show next week. Stay safe and um, keep the faith. Bye for now. You have been listening to the Cosmic Creating Radio Show with Jan Shaw, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio. Live long and prosper.